Destination Eat Drink is up next, but first, listen to this great other show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Howard Sudbury. Good for you. Oh, and I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next Back to You, we're going to talk about snoring on airplanes. We're going to find out what precipitation pie is. Persimmon. He just spoiled it. My goodness. That's on the next Back to You with... With a lot of luck. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to You, an Opie show. Only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Famous spice markets. The best places to get curry. And Bollywood dancing. This week, we're in Mumbai, India. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week we visit a different foodie city and explore the best places to eat and drink and the coolest things to do there. And this week, it's Mumbai, India, for the city's vast array of flavors, sights, and smells. But first, let me remind you to subscribe to the podcast. That way, you'll always get the latest episode of Destination Eat Drink sent directly to your phone, tablet, or computer. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or RadioMisfits.com. And all the podcasts are also available at DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on the podcast tab. Harshvardhan Tanwar is the owner of No Footprints, a company in Mumbai, India, that offers several tours in the city, including food tours that visit the city's spice markets, street food stalls, and curry stands. Now, at the beginning of our talk, it sounds like you're just dropped right into the middle of a conversation between me and Harsh. And that's because before we started the quote-unquote official part of the podcast, Harsh and I were just chatting and I asked him about the origin of the names Mumbai and Bombay. And that wasn't ever going to be a part of this episode, but when I was listening back, I thought it was interesting. So that's why I included it here. Anyway, here's Harsh and I talking about Mumbai. Destination, eat, drink. When I was growing up, it was uh, the city was called Bombay. Now it's called Mumbai. Why, why right. the difference? Uh, so in 1996, we had a change of government. So I'll just give you a little bit of history of why, how Bombay got its name. So you have an idea. So uh, Bombay used to be a heptanasia, which was, uh, you know, seven isolated islands that made the island city of Bombay, which we call the South Precinct. But uh, before that, it was just a cluster of islands and... Uh, it was actually uh, the original inhabitants were the fisherfolk community or the Koli. And they had a goddess called Mumalai, whom they called Mumba Devi. And uh, Mumba Devi basically came, uh, you know, was their patron goddess. And on that name, they actually called this Mumbai. Mumb is the Mumba Devi temple. I is mother. You put that together and that becomes Mumbai. Now, when the Portuguese came here, they started calling this Mumbai uh, as in the good bay, uh, you know, in Portuguese. And that's what it was called in the Portuguese rule. And then for the greater convenience of the British tongue, Bombay or Bombayam became a Bombay. Uh, and that continued on till about 1995. Uh, and then we had, uh, you know, the government that came into power uh, was a very nationalistic government. 
and they changed all the you know their idea was to kind of get a very nationalistic uh, uh, you know they were they were all about nationalistic rights so they actually converted the names of bombay back to its original name uh, was that was mumbai and ever since then we've you know if you had to give an exam and if you wrote bombay uh, for the capital of this state you would uh, get it wrong it is mumbai so i'm a kid who was born and brought up in uh, you know i was born of course in the late 80s it was still called bombay then and uh, you know um, uh, i have lived in the south precinct all my life so uh, you know it was called bombay then for me it still rings as bombay india is a massive a huge country tell me about the region of india where mumbai is located and what makes that different than the rest of india so uh, mumbai is located on the western coast of uh, india it borders uh, the arabian sea and a lot of my american friends often say you know that uh, mumbai is like the new york of india and i often correct them and say hey you know you're talking to a guy from mumbai so for me uh, new york is the bombay of america okay <laughs> but yeah what makes it so different i think um, you know bombay is being cosmopolitan in its in just much like new york it's been cosmopolitan like any other trading city right i think trade has always kind of got people from other shores to come into the city and uh, and work uh, be it within the country or be it people from outside the country so when the british took over the seven islands uh, you know after catherine of braganza who was the portuguese princess married prince charles the 5th um bombay became a, a you know colonized by the british and they moved they realized the true potential of this you know these islands because it was a deep port and while we always had ancient trading routes but as ships grew we had to move from creeks to you know harbors uh, and the british saw this as an opportunity and they actually started giving incentives to trade and so you had people coming from like the you know you had persians who were already here in you know up north uh, from maharashtra in a state called gujarat they moved in uh, you had uh, communities like the yemeni boras you know you've uh, of course uh, you know got people from within the country the parare prabhus who came in so we've had a bunch of people that have really come and made bombay extremely cosmopolitan right and uh, and then we had a surge that happened when the american civil war took place in between 1861 to 1864 and the cotton picking stopped in america uh, so we had a lot of cotton textile mills and because of that there was a lot of opportunity for people to come here and work and we had so many people uh, who were bordering around uh, you know bombay city who started coming in here and such a work and rest of us is history i think uh, today we have you know bombay is called the migrant city i think there are very few people in fact the original inhabitants who were the fisher folk are very few uh, and far i think most of the people that come into uh, the city are now migrants and with them they've you know bought to them a very very interesting culture and one very important part of that culture has been food uh, but as a district when you look at bombay bombay comes in the konkan district and i firmly believe that you know um, uh, borders and uh, you know lines and cities and states are all man made uh, food is always divided by regions and the region that we come from is the konkan region and our cash crop is rice and we eat a lot of fish so if you had to come into bombay one of the things that you need to try is um, the fish because it's a fishing community it's it's interesting 
that you compare New York to Bombay because you said all these people from the outside, migrants have come in to create this vibrancy in Bombay. And I think of New York as the biggest melting pot in the United States of any city. So I think the comparison is really apt here. But, you know, itself, there are so many regions within this country that, um, you know, whoever comes in has bought a very distinct cuisine with them. And uh, yeah, I think Bombay, just like New York, is uh, a melting pot of uh, culture and vibrancy and communities. So what would be an example, Harsh, of some of the imported cuisine, some of the transplanted cuisine from other areas of India that have now come into Mumbai, Bombay, and become more popular? Uh, you know, the, the original Kohli's or Fisher Folk community and converted to Catholicism. And they've got Portuguese influence, you know, on the food of Bombay. Right. Uh, then you have uh, uh, the likes of, um, you know, you look at the Koja or the Bori uh, Muslims who've come here and they've given a very interesting, uh, you know, they came from Yemen and they settled down in Gujarat and then came towards Bombay and then gave their cuisine uh, to, uh, you know, the city. So we've taken from so many different cultures, cuisines, um, Central India, you had the Malwa region that creates these, um, you know, rice flakes, which are uh, called poa, which is now very famous in uh, Bombay, but they actually came down from central India. Or you have the Konkani Muslims who have their own cuisine because the Arabs that used to trade here actually moved their way towards the coast, this coast that I was talking to you about, and they've lent their, uh, you know, cuisine towards uh, the city of Bombay. So there is a great sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, an explosion of, uh, food and culture and cuisine that's happening. Of course, how can I forget the Gujaratis? They are the ones who are the trading, you know, community or the businessmen who are here. And uh, they were a very, very important part of the Bombay presidency. And they, you know, you have even their food, which is a little sweeter, uh, that is really devoured here uh, by uh, the local. And then you, of course, have the local food, which the polis, um, you know, cook, which is fiery curries, um, you know, because... Uh, they, we started, after, um, you know, chili came in much later into India than uh, what people generally think. It actually came in in the, you know, in the late 15th century, early 16th century. And pepper was the hottest spice. And when the Portuguese came here doing trade, that's when uh, they bought in chili, you know, from Mexico to South America coming down into India. And now, you know, we are using chili as if it's our own. And we're the largest consumers and producers of chili in the world. And you can't really... Uh, you know, when you talk about hot food, I think India comes right on top. And it's funny to know that it's not even chili is not even an indigenous, uh, you know, indigenous um, uh, spice to India. That is so interesting. The Portuguese brought chilies from Mexico and Central America to India. And that's how Indian food became spicy. You know, I, I have a friend, um, Rachel Lawden, who writes just about this stuff. She's a, a food scholar and she talks about transplanted right. cuisine. And this is a perfect example of transplanted cuisine coming from one area to another area. The example I always use is uh, Italian is pizza in Italy because tomatoes for the tomato sauce are not indigenous to Europe there. They come from the new world. And this is another perfect example right. of that. Harsh, when you were talking about the Portuguese coming, it reminded me when we were in Hawaii, uh, there were a lot of Portuguese there who worked in the sugar cane plantations, the pineapple plantations. And one of the most famous desserts in Hawaii is the masalada. 
and uh, it's a it's a Portuguese donut, and it's filled with often uh, lily koi, which is passion fruit, which the Hawaiians love. I'm wondering right. if there's any uh, connection between Portuguese donuts and the Indian donuts. Uh, tell me the name of the Indian donut, and if there's any uh, a relationship there. So uh, the Portuguese, uh, while they were in the western coast of India, they were also there in the eastern coast of India. Now, let me tell you, Indians love. I mean, you. I don't know if you're aware, but Indians love our milk, despite the fact that I think about 60% of uh, south of India, I think, is lactose intolerant, and 40% of probably northern India is. Uh, you know, we, we look at the cow and, um, for the lack of a better word, love the cow. We pray to the cow. That's actually our, uh, you know, mother. And uh, the idea of, um, you know, splitting milk to make cheese was actually considered to be very unholy in uh, India. Because uh, splitting milk was actually considered bad luck. And it was only the Portuguese that split milk. And then they created this, uh, you know, dish with the milk, which was, uh, which was uh, basically called chenna, which now became like, uh, you know, a, a donut sort of a thing that we put in a sugary syrup, which is called gulab jamun, right? Or uh, the fact that the rasmalai or the rasgulla, which just is sugar dipped, you know, this chenna or this... Uh, this cheese is just dipped into, uh, you know, um, sweet, sweetened water, and then we actually eat it, right? And uh, that is a Portuguese influence. And now, if you notice, you know, we eat so much cottage cheese all over. Before the Portuguese came in, we didn't even have cottage cheese. You know, uh, another thing that the Portuguese button was pao or poi or bread, as we call it. So we did not have baking before them. So they actually came here and they showed us the idea of making, uh, you know, poi or or pow in India, where they actually fermented it with arak or toddy, which uh, they put inside the wheat and they allowed it to they leaven the bread and then they would bake it. And now poi is a very important part of most uh, East Indians or, uh, you know, Goans growing up. Uh, in fact, uh, most of Bombay street food is, um, uh, you know, we have to include the pow in the food and the credit goes to the Portuguese. You mentioned street food, Harsh. And I guess my question is, India is famous for these street food stalls. I believe you guys even have a street food tour at No Footprints. Uh, tell us what we should look for. If I'm a visitor to Mumbai, what should I look for in a street food stall? What, what differentiates a good one from a poor one? And how would we know that as a as a visitor? I think one of the things is that uh, we Indians are extremely passionate about food. Uh, you would uh, see us referring to food in most of our conversations. In fact, no conversation is complete without, you know, conversation around food for us. You know, if you had to go and see a good place, I think uh, wherever you see a lot of people uh, standing in queue, uh, that is the greatest, uh, you know, that's that's what you know is, is going to be a place that's going to do great food. So one of the things is, that, uh, you know, it needs to be full of people. Um, secondly, um, you know, when you come down to Bombay, I think uh, we're so passionate about food that someone is going to tell you, hey, you know what, why don't you come um, and go check out this place? It's fantastic. But Brent, food is so subjective, right? I mean, you could love uh, a place and I could possibly hate it. And I think those are the best arguments that you can have with anyone. <laughs> right. For me, uh, the street food walk that we've created is actually... Uh, you know, it comes from my personal guilt of going and enjoying those places. And while I'm eating it, I just hope uh, and, you know, cross my fingers that my guests love it too. And so far, we've done over 150 to 200, uh, actually more than that, about 250 odd food tours. And uh, all the guests have loved it. 
uh, we do take certain precautions on the tour because you know uh, we don't want to get our guests into Delhi belly so one of the things that we avoid our guests to eat is raw uh, you know if there's raw onion or there's raw uh, you know tomatoes we generally tend to avoid it and anything that has water and uncooked we try and avoid but anything that's hot right and anything that we consider safe uh, you know, we include that in our tour and our guests so far have loved it. So you brought up an interesting point, Harsh. I think when Americans think about going to India, they say, oh, should I drink the water? And uh, I guess this is a question that we should ask. Um, should we drink bottled water when we come to Mumbai as Americans since we're not used to the water that we would be drinking from the faucet? Yeah, so we generally don't drink tap water in India, uh, in um, especially also I can also talk about Bombay and India, that we don't drink tap water. Uh, we have filtered water. So if you come into homes, you're always going to get uh, filtered water. But because we're unsure of where the water is coming from, we always tell our, you know, in restaurants, so we often tell our guests, get a bottled water. Uh, that's absolutely safe. Uh, the food that we generally do on our street food tours, we uh, tend to, if they're, if they're cooking something in front of us and if there's water that's used, we tell them to use uh, bottled water. But as I said, if the food is hot, Right. Uh, the food is generally safe. Let's talk about some of your tours. No Footprints, your company, No Footprints offers tours and workshops in Mumbai. And one of the most interesting ones to me is the Five Senses Tour. And talk about this right. tour, but specifically talk about um, a dish called uh, Thali, what what it is and its importance to the cuisine of Mumbai. Okay, so the Five Senses Tour, I'll just give you a background of it. The idea actually uh, came from my partner, Isha, when we were sitting down and we said, hey, you know, uh, people are coming into the city of Bombay and, um, uh, you know, they come into the city and uh, people say, hey, why don't you go on a city tour? And what we realized was that people were going and seeing monuments and that's what they said, hey, you've toured the city. But the city has so much, right? It's got... Uh, it's got, you know, it's got the history, of course, but it's also got Bollywood. It's got people. It's got spices. It's got food, right? So we said, hey, how do we integrate this into one day of great activities that kind of really give you an entire idea of what the city and this country is? So we said, you know, Bombay is always a sensory, you know, it's sensory awesomeness, economy, right? So we said, hey, we go on your five senses and we'll and create five unique experiences that really show you what Bombay is. So that starts off with site where we go to all the tourist sites of Bombay, which you'd rather cover on what the people loosely call city tour. It includes the Dobigat, which is the washroom and laundry, and includes all the important tourist sites that a first-time traveler must see. Uh, after that is sound. We go to a Bollywood dance studio and listen to Bollywood music, but it's blasphemous if you only listen to Bollywood music and don't dance. So we actually get our guests to party. Yeah, 30-minute Bollywood dance workshop, right? Then you have smell, which we enter a spice market and we talk about the history of spices and how really uh, trade, you know, Bombay or India became, um, you know, colonized because of the spice trade. So food is extremely integral. But we walk through the spice market and they actually get to see the different spices. But what they get to see is, you know, women who come and they make their own spice mix. Right. And that's the beauty. And that's passed on from generation to generation. So from mother to daughter to daughter in law. Right. They'll all be sitting down there and making their own spice mixes. Right. And that's very, very interesting to watch. And then you have touch, which is uh, 
basically we go to an NGO, a children-based NGO, where we spend some time with, uh, you know, the children there in the education setup. And that's our way of giving back to the community and the guests get to interact with them. And finally, it's taste. And we go to a thali. Now, thali is not a dish. It's a concept. Uh, thali is basically what we do is we, in India, you know, um, we have a sort of a tasting menu, right? And that thali is actually just that. You have 10, you know, five or six different dishes and you actually kind of, uh, you know, eat a little bit of everything along with a chapati, which is a carb or a rice. Harsh, you mentioned going to the spice market and watching folks create spice mixes that are all unique depending on what they put in and uh, at what different uh, measurements. Tell us some of the spices that would go into these mixtures because they're all very interesting to us uh, Americans and we'd love to know what is in there and what kind of what kind of flavors they might have? So uh, a lot of misconception that uh, you know Americans or probably the Western world, Europeans, Americans uh, have that you know masala is basically a mixture of spices. A single spice can be uh, you know a spice or a masala. Like uh, you know chili powder could be a masala. Uh, you could have coriander powder could be a masala, and then you mix all of them together, and it could create a completely different uh, spice mix, like a garam masala. Uh, you know, now everyone makes it their own way. Like my mother makes it a completely different way to what my aunt makes it uh, because they probably come from different parts of, uh, you know, uh, the different parts of the same state. So uh, she would make a masala, a garam masala with eight spices. My mom would probably make it with 10. A typical thing would have, uh, you know, cinnamon. It'll have cardamom. It'll have, you know, it'll have asafoetida, coriander seeds. Uh, it'll have cumin. Uh, it'll have caraway seeds. It'll have um, it'll have pepper. It'll have chili. Uh, you know, and uh, they put uh, turmeric, which is a rhizome that's then uh, you know broken down and you know dried and made into a powder form, right? And all of these go in together uh, to create a spice mix. Someone could add rose petals. Uh, you know, that adds a very nice dried rose petals, which adds a very nice uh, flavor to it. Uh, someone could add. Um, fennel uh, seeds to it. So it basically depends on uh, how it goes, but just an addition of an extra spice could, uh, you know, give a variance to the curry and uh, it just could be so different uh, despite uh, them coming, them being, uh, you know, neighboring regions, but yet their uh, their cuisines could be, uh, you know, they are, just because of those use of spice could be very, very different. Like, I'll give you another example. Um, the East Indians, which I mentioned, the people who converted to Catholicism, they make something called the bottle masalas. And each of them make a different bottle masala. I know I have three or four, um, uh, you know, friends who are East Indians and their mothers make these lovely uh, Bombay duck curry. And um, all their curries taste very different because of, you know, a different uh, component of the bottle masala. And the reason why it's called bottle masala is because they would pound those spices and then put them in uh, these uh, beer bottles, which were, uh, which were uh, uh, you know, dark. And then they would uh, store it under their beds or in a cool place. And each of them would have a different bottle masala. And it's quite interesting. I love the different regionality of the spice mixes. Let me ask you this, Harsh. If I were to ask your mother what her spice mix is, right. would she tell me or is it a secret recipe? Uh, my mother is very uh, generous, uh, uh, so she'd probably uh, tell you what it is. Um, 
but not everyone. Like I, I remember my dad used to run a restaurant a long time ago. And uh, for the lack of the better word, the person who was the most anal in that, uh, and pardon my French, uh, was uh, the uh, the guy who would make the masala mix. And he was he was very, very careful that he never revealed his secret uh, because that's what uh, made a chef. So, yeah, if you're looking at Indian cuisine, my mother probably would be okay, but not uh, everyone. I love the secret recipes. Um, you mentioned the curries. Where is, in Mumbai, Harsh, where is your favorite place to go get a curry? And what are the different kinds of, you mentioned, I mean, there must be a million different kinds of curries, but just mention a couple of, of your favorites and, and what the difference is between them. You know, the best place to actually eat food, and I know it might sound a cliche, is in people's homes. That's what I basically believe now. Um, as you said, curry is a very broad concept, right? And I think that's uh, that's very anglicized. For us, uh, you know, curry is something that we have regularly. So I'm just going to tell you about, you know, in- interesting dishes that really kind of, um, uh, you know, just, just kind of I love. Um, a very interesting restaurant, which I often take my guests into, uh, which is called the Bombay Canteen. They do some fun uh, food with, uh, you know, trying to bring back the old... Uh, indigenous uh, foods back into the forefront. Um, they also are, you know, trying to revolutionize Indian food by having conversation around it and giving its own contemporary twist. Um, they have another sister, um, you know, um, um, a restaurant which is called O Pedro, which does some lovely, um, uh, which is Portuguese inspired as well as, you know, the Hindu um, food from the Gaur Saraswat Brahmin uh, community. Um, I like these really interesting hole in the wall places. There's one of my one of my most um, beloved place actually, which was introduced by my by a friend of mine. It is called uh, Sneha. There's some very nice um, malu food that comes from Kerala, and they use tapioca in their food along with uh, uh, buff meat, and they create a biryani out of it, which doesn't have rice. Then uh, there's another curry which is. Uh, very interesting is called, um, uh, you know, it's called Chicken Hakimi, which comes in a small little place, which when Nigella Lawson, who is a very famous British chef, came down and toured with us, uh, I took her there and uh, she fell in love with it. In fact, when she came back to India, she went there to eat it again. And it's uh, a take on um, tandoori chicken where, you know, he adds a bit of cream and butter and uh, the grilled chicken is then, uh, and then he puts his own, uh, you know, secret spice mix, and he puts it all together and creates this outstanding dish, which uh, you just lap it up with, um, uh, you know, bread or pow. Um, yeah, I mean, countless. Uh, this this podcast could go on for like a couple of days if I tell you all of that. Right, we could have a whole podcast uh, episodes just dedicated to different kinds of curries. I'm sure. The I was wondering, Harsh, because. I've spent some time in the UK and of course Indian food is huge in the UK and one of the ubiquitous dishes there is curry on french fries or what the British call chips. I'm wondering, has that migrated back to India at all? Do you see curry and chips in India or is that strictly a UK phenomenon? Oh, wow. No, I'm, uh, I mean, people are trying to do fun stuff with french fries, but I think that's mostly a concept that's come from, uh, you know, uh, the West, uh, we we do have our own version of French fries, which are called bhajias, uh, which are, uh, you know, in the monsoons, uh, we have them, which we fry, um, you know, potato discs into, uh, you know, putting it in a gram flour batter. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, eating it. Uh, we also do that with a lot of scores of vegetables, including onion, you know, like onion fritters. Uh, we make we make coriander fritters, which we use a lot of gram flour and we deep fry them. So, uh, you know, the fried concept of uh, chips has existed, but in our own version where we use, uh, you know, uh, Indian masalas in a gram flour batter. We dip our vegetables in them and then deep fry them and eat them. Uh, but curry and chips is not uh, is 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 probably uh, a British way of kind of uh, uh, showcasing Indian food. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, they've just anglicized some Indian food, and you see a lot of that in England. Stuff that you probably wouldn't see in India, but it's been adjusted to the British palate. Yeah, like the chicken tikka masala, which Indians consider to be, I mean, which foreign world considers to be an Indian dish, is actually not Indian. Right. It was uh, it was actually invented by someone who wanted to sell uh, a canned tomato puree. <laughs> he just put some canned tomato in it and then uh, created this dish called a chicken tikka masala. And it became so famous that often uh, British tourists come into India and say, hey, we want chicken tikka masala. And guess what? Uh, Indians are such great entrepreneurs. We not only give it to them, but we've probably mastered the dish. Right. And now selling it as our dish, which is actually not even Indian its origin. That's genius. Uh, Harsh, I've read about the suburb of Mumbai called Dadar. I've read this is a must-visit place for foodies. Uh, Where should we go when visiting um, this place? And what are some of the things that we can experience when going there? Dadar sees a lot of Maharashtra, the local folk, you know, coming from the state of Maharashtra who made Bombay their home. And what you can eat is a lot of Maharashtra delicacies, uh, because that was also the birthplace of uh, let me just say India's national dish, which uh, Bombay's national dish, actually. Because if you tell anyone that there's another dish that's better than that, uh, you know, that'll probably be the last thing you say to uh, to uh, anybody. Because a Mumbai car will take a lot of offense. And, uh, you know, so that's called the vada pav, which is, uh, you know, a, 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 a potato fritter. So what we do is we take mashed potatoes, we put it in a gram flour, and then we deep fry it, and then we put it in a pav and we give it. So that was the birthplace of uh, the uh, vada pav. Uh, you can go to a place called Prakash, which is absolutely my favorite. They do a wonderful dish, which is called uh, a sago, uh, sago with potato, and then they deep fry it with uh, some peanuts called the, you know, it, it, it's it's um, basically called the sabudana vada, which we really love, and they have a fantastic peanut chutney. But then you can go down and have, you know, there's a place called Aswad, which does. Uh, uh, and some people might disagree with me, but that's fine. They do a very nice uh, misal pao, which is basically a lentil curry. And to spruce it up, we put some gram fritters in it. And then again, we eat it with pao. And then you have poha, which is another dish, which is made famous in Maharashtra, but comes from the central region, which is um, flattened rice, uh, flattened rice that's then, uh, you know, cooked with Indian spices. Uh, especially with turmeric and uh, tempered with mustard seeds and curry leaves. And uh, it's a simple dish, but it's goddamn tasty. And All then right. you also have the fish plants, which are, uh, you know, which do fish from uh, the coastal region. So you have a lot of different fish, but our favorite fish is the Bombay duck. So they do a lovely Bombay duck fry, which could give any fish and chip a restaurant in London a run for its money. Let's talk about some specific dishes that I've heard about that I'm not familiar with, Harsh. Um, I read about something called the Bombay Sandwich. Can you tell me about this? What What is involved with it? It does not sound like a traditional 
Indian dish, which kind of makes it interesting to me. Tell me more. So the Bombay sandwich is a street food dish. Of course, it's made famous is because it was on the streets of Bombay. Sandwiches have existed, uh, you know, ever since, uh, uh, you know, America made it popular in the 1960s, but it came down to India and then we've had sliced sandwiches. And it was an easy way uh, to kind of move from Pau's, which was a mainstay of every street food dish. And then it moved towards sliced bread. So it was easier to just uh, put two things in the middle of it and uh, give it to you know, people who are there. So Bombay sandwich is basically a vegetable sandwich where we use uh, boiled potatoes. There'll be uh, boiled beet. There'll be, uh, you know, a beetroot. There'd be um, onion. Um, you know, there'd be uh, tomatoes. And then what they will do is they will put that and they'll put a dollop of uh, coriander chutney on it. Uh, after that, they will, uh, you know, grill it uh, in a traditional, uh, you know, griller, uh, which is a street food griller you know, some coriander chutney and some um, uh, garlic chutney on top. And then uh, kind of put a very uh, thin straw of, uh, you know, gram fritter on top of it. And it's the tastiest thing uh, you can have on the streets of Bombay. It's nice and spicy and extremely tasty. You know, to wash all this down, we need a nice, cool beer. <laughs> what are some of the beers that we can find in Mumbai? Um, and is craft brewing taking over in the city, smaller companies that are making more distinct flavors of beer. Yeah, in fact, there are a lot of people. There's a big movement that's happened not only in the beer, but also the gin industry. In fact, uh, also the meads, uh, which is one of the older drinks, ancient drinks is making a comeback. And uh, there are there's a meaderies, which are now also coming out and they're making some great meads. But yeah, there is a place uh, called Woodside Inn that does some amazing uh, beers. They actually... Uh, uh, curate uh, actually not they they have their they they actually bring together a lot of different uh, beers from different breweries. You know you have uh, people who are trying to experiment with mango beers. Uh, you know you have a place like Thirsty One Twenty Seven that is doing uh, some great stuff with their beers. Um, you know you have some places just outside of Bombay, which is in Pune, which is called Dulali, which is now also come down into Bombay that do some wonderful beers uh, there as well. Uh, so, yeah, the beer culture is uh, kind of uh, booming right now. Uh, there are a lot of small players who've come into the market and uh, really shaken up all the um, all the original uh, big daddies uh, of the beer world. Harsh, you, me you mentioned gin. I was just talking about London with somebody and they were saying how gin is just explode. There's gin bars everywhere in London. Talk about the gin in India and Mumbai. So we've got, uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, very interesting GNT places that they're giving on tap. Uh, I remember there is a, a place which is called uh, the Gateway Tap Room, if I'm not mistaken. They do uh, GNT on tap. There's a very nice company that does, um, uh, it's called Greater Than Gin. There's so much happening around gin, so many infusions that people are coming up with. Uh, Thirsty does some wonderful, Thirsty 127, the Art Deco bar that I mentioned, does some very nice uh, GND cocktails. And what about sweets and desserts, uh, Harsh? When we come to Mumbai, what kind of sweets should we look for? What are some of the most famous ones and uh, what kind of ingredients would be in, in them? So, um, to be very frank, I don't think Bombay uh, is producing some great uh, sweet dishes per se, but we borrowed some amazing flavors from across. And let me just put it being an absolute Mumbai car, I think we perfected them. Uh, but uh, we do some, uh, you know, if you uh, 
I think now, and there's a very interesting conversation that I was having with uh, someone the other day, how everyone's reverted to, everyone's reverted to, I don't know, not reverted, but let me just say everyone's moved to eating cakes on every celebration. To be fair, also Indian sweets are extremely heavy. So I understand why people are moving towards cakes and people are getting extremely innovative with cakes. But if there is one um, uh, sweet dish that comes to my mind, if I talk about Mumbai and Maharashtra, it's called karvas which is uh, basically a, a dish that's made of colostrum or the first milk of the cow. And they set it. And then after that, what they do is they flavor it with uh, cardamom. And it's extremely tasty. There's also a dish called piyush, which is, uh, which is like a lassi. Uh, and lassi comes, you know, has been famous by North of India. But that's our take on lassi, which is, um, you know, a thick um, uh, curd drink with uh, saffron as saffron and uh, cardamom that they put in then we have something called shrikhand which is hunkered uh, that's uh, you know again they'll put which is which is extremely extremely sweet and then you put in um, you know saffron flakes on top or you can put in pistachios or almonds and they're extremely tasty um, and one more before i forget is the Amrakhand, which is basically making mango uh, puree. And we love our mangoes and uh, we get the best mangoes, I think, in the world. The Brazilians will disagree. But I think uh, we, Maharashtra, has the best mangoes in the world, especially Alfonso. So a lot of, um, we do a, a Amrakhand and an Amras puri uh, uh, thing, which is just mango pulp that's eaten with, uh, um, you know, fried bread, which is just very, very tasty. That sounds great. You know, I'm, I got to book my ticket right now to get to uh, Mumbai and try some of this great stuff. When is the best time to come and visit your city? I think a lot of Americans, they might want to come and experience one of the famous festivals in the city. But you tell me, Harsh, when's the best time for people to come to Mumbai? So uh, as a businessman, I'll say through the year. Okay. But, uh, uh, you know, as a uh, as someone who's from Bombay, uh, you know, the best time to come into the city is the tourist time uh, between, um, you know, uh, say end of September to uh, late May. Uh, June to August generally is the monsoon period. And at that point in time, logistics go for a toss. But having said that, though, it the, the city looks beautiful. So right now, great time to come. Um, Harsh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Before we let you go... Uh, how can people book a tour with No Footprints? So uh, I'll just tell you a little about No Footprints. No Footprints uh, was started with a simple philosophy to bring community stories to uh, the forefront. That was the basic idea. So be it food, be it culture, be it community. You know, we've always uh, focused on trying to bring community to the fore. In fact, uh, you know, my partner Isha has recently uh, come up with a tour which is called A Queer Day Out, which talks about the queer community. And we archive the story of the queer community in Bombay, uh, you know, where we go into spots that have been made, you know, that have historical uh, conversation around queerness in Bombay. We have a tour of the early morning tour of Mumbai by Dawn, which has been taken by business school, leisure travelers, you know, um, chefs, even photographers. Then we have the Whirly Village Walk that goes into an old 800-year-old village to doing a bar crawl which is not your uh, typical pub crawl, but something called as Bombay Booze and the Bard, which uh, talks about the story of prohibition uh, in Bombay, much like what was there in America. 
So, uh, you know, so there are some very, very interesting tours that we do. And if someone wants to book it, uh, they can go online onto our website, which is called uh, NFP. That's N Navy Father Peter Explore.com. So that's NFP Explore.com. Or they can always write to us at INFO. That's info at the rate NFP Explore.com. And or you can just Google no footprints and we'll just come up. The best part is we're also number one on TripAdvisor, uh, you know, in Bombay, the number one company. So, uh, you know, you won't be disappointed if you come on a tour with us. You guys have just just done a great job with No Footprints. And I love all the variety of tours that you guys offer. So uh, definitely folks should check that out if they're planning a trip to Mumbai. Harsh from No Footprints, thank you so much for being on the show today. And we look forward to seeing you in Mumbai. Absolutely. My pleasure, Brent. Makes you want to go to Mumbai, doesn't it? I've included a link to No Footprints' website where you can book a tour with Harsh in this week's show notes. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Join me next week for a milestone episode of Destination Eat Drink, our one-year anniversary of the podcast. We'll have a parade, the mayor giving us the key to the city, speeches from dignitaries, marching bands, lots of pageantry. Just kidding. We'll have something much better. A city food guide to Dublin, Ireland. That's right. Lots of Guinness, lots of Irish charm, and some potatoes, too. That's on the next episode. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla and the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson, and I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.